You're listening to the Irish Times. Stop all the clocks, Pat. It's one of those mornings. Rugby's rugby's stopped. Rugby. It? Well, you know, they, you, you know, you know the reference there. W H O. W H O. Yeah. Well, I know it from four weddings. Turn off the telephone. Stop the dog. Chomping on a juicy bone, something like that. Yeah, stop the dog anyway, barking with a bone. Anyway, rugby is ruined. Mm. It's over. Yeah. We'll have to talk about something else. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Actually, we will be talking lots of rugby. We're going to have Jerry and Gavin in a while. But first, you have uh, you have something to get off your chest. Yeah, I was watching um, Wexford and Dublin on Saturday night in Croke Park, which was just a blight on the game of hurling. It was a horrific game. In in all our time knowing each other, which is coming up on 20 years soon, I'd say, uh, I don't ever remember getting a text from you that was so dispirited about hurling. Yeah, and, and I had no, <laughs> no dog in the fight, as it were. Uh, it was an awful game. Played on a horrific pitch. The pitch was in rag order. The Croke Park pitch? The Croke Park pitch. Did and I? it was clearly cut too tight as well. It had clearly been cut for football. Anyway, uh, none of that should be get away from the fact that it was an atrocious, awful, horrible, cynical game. The referee had a nightmare. Um, if he was a player, he would have been taken off after 20 minutes. Really? Kind of level of nightmare. Yeah. It was one of those things that no matter how much he blew the whistle, he had no control over it. He had no discipline. There was 50 frees, there was 13 yellow cards and three reds. But it didn't matter because there, essentially there was... The issue was with two rules as I could watch it. One that he had at his disposal and one that he didn't. The one that he had at his disposal was the advantage rule, which gives mm. you five seconds. Mm. Five seconds is a long time to see if an advantage accrues and he never used it the whole game. Every time somebody tried to break a tackle, especially a half back, mm. it seemed to constantly be, every time they tried to break a tackle, they get held up and the whistle would go free. Ball dropped, teams reset and there's an arcing ball coming in the forwards and it's no good. Whereas if he left them give them the five second advantage, they would break through the tackle, even if it took a second or two. Okay, so Suddenly he should be using the advantage. Use the advantage rule. And it wasn't, and it was just, it, it destroyed the whole game as a spectacle. Second of all, I'm sick of hearing people say that hurling people don't want a black card or a sin bin. This is what hurling. I hear, Pat. I mean, you know, hurling people that I hear of, and I, I, I haven't heard one hurling person who doesn't want the black card, yeah, you haven't heard a hurting person who doesn't want it. Does, who does want it, who does want it. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Well, I'm a hurling person. What? I, I want a black card. Oh my God. I want a sin bin and hurling. And it's needed. And I, who are these these people that, like, <laughs> Brian Hogan I saw on Twitter there last night, uh, did a hashtag, leave the rules alone or something, talking about how, <laughs> you know, hurling doesn't need to be changed. And it put me in mind of uh, a few years ago, do you know the film critic Mark Kermode? I, I do, yes. He um, he was interviewing... Big hurling man. A, big hurling man. But he was interviewing a director and he kind of said to him, your film is clearly about, you know, this. And the director said, uh, no, it's not. And Kermode said back to him, well, look, you might have made it, but I watched it. <laughs> and, and I... I was really thinking that watching or listening to Brian Hogan. Yeah. You might have played in senior inter-county hurling, mm. but we have to watch it. Mm. And it's just... Absolutely necessary. What's more, if people say there's no cynical fouling in hurling. I don't think people say that anymore. People say there's no to be fair. need to referee against us. That's no a need to adjust story. the rules. Yes. But that's fine. So yeah. if there really isn't black card offences in hurling, bring it in and we'll never need to use the black card. It'll that's never fair. leave the referee's mm. pocket. 
But something that really irked me on, because I, I, so I watched this game on Saturday night and then um, I watched the highlights last night on um, League Sunday. Yes. And they showed Eamon Dillon get a terrific point from the sideline. Glorious point where he managed to kind of get the ball in his mm. hand and arc it over. But what they left out was a point earlier before that where a ball came in and he sprinting out to the ball, managed to gather it with a beautiful touch and turn in one go and leave the corner back in his wake about 30 metres out. Mm. And you knew when it's Eamon Dillon, he's going for goal here. And mm. there's one of two things happening. Either the net, he's going for a goal, mm. the net will rattle or the keeper's going to make a brilliant mm. save. Your your bum is off your seat, like, yes. you know. But what actually happened was that the Wexford sweeper, who I'm 90% sure, I hope I'm not... Kevin Foley. Kevin Foley, yeah. came across and kind of got him arm in arm, dragged him to the ground. No, made no attempt to play the ball because he knew that he mm. couldn't, if he tried to play the ball in the, those two steps to try and play the ball, Dylan would be gone from him. So what happens is a 20 metre-ish free, Paul Ryan tips it over and it doesn't even make the highlights. Mm. Whereas I guarantee you what would have happened had there hadn't been that foul, would have made the highlights. Well, you can answer this question for me. I know that the reason, when, when the black card came in in football, it was because people had had enough. Mm. They had had enough of two things in particular. One, exactly that, a guy running through on goal and getting dragged down. But two, the uh, layoff of a pass, running for the return and getting body checked on the way. Yeah. The viewing public had had enough of that. Mm. that and that was how it came about. You know, the GA sent out a survey to clubs, to people, to interested observers. With, with all manner, what, what annoys you in the game? What could we possibly regulate out of the game? And this was what came back. Mm. What, is it, what interests me around this debate in hurling, I watch hurling and... When when something like that happens, and it happens not in every game, but in every one in every two games, there's a foul like that. I go, oh Jesus Christ! Why why do they allow that in it? Why like? But what I'm interested around this is why does why does that not drive hurling people mad? The stopping of that chance. Why what where? Why is the the instinct to preserve the other side of it? Is it is it purely because this is a football thing? I don't actually know, but what I I don't understand why they want to do it. Sometimes I think when you hear managers come out in in support of it, mm. as in we don't need a black card, mm. it's because it makes things far more controllable from their point of view. True, I understand that, but I'm talking about the the, the punditocracy, the Brian Hogan, the Anthony like Anthony Daly, a very clear thinker, Derek McGrath, a very forward thinker, uh, and they're not alone. Like the, you, you you would really struggle to find a hurling pundit who goes, yeah, there is a problem here we need. I think Don Logo wants the black card, fair yeah. enough. But uh, I just, why I can't get my finger on why there is no sense of that stupid foul is plainly unacceptable. I don't understand it because I think you're right. The, when those pundits um, like that, it's like they think that their hurling man card was going to be rescinded mm. if they come out against it. Whereas most a lot of the thinkers that I w would respect that I kind of read in the papers mm. in Hurling, they're all in favour of it. And actually, Dublin showed up a, a shocking new version of it on Saturday night, which they were dragging down shuttle runs. Wexford that's have, the Wexford yeah, have that's a heavily the, rehearsed that's the next frontier, routine. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, Sean Murphy essentially got sent off for reacting to being dragged down mm. to when he was trying to make a run for a ball. Like He got dragged down, he got up, he reacted. There was the double booking thing and of course he got sent off. And I don't understand why 
hurling people, and I'm making air quotes there, mm. don't want it. But I consider myself a hurling person and lots of people I know mm. consider themselves hurling persons and they hate it. It's a blight. And a black card or a sin bin actually, particularly in hurling, would work better than it does in football because you can't time waste to the degree yeah. in, in hurling as you can in football. Bring it in and then the foul will disappear and we can all get on with our Because I think this is the one thing that people forget. The, the black card in football isn't about getting players off the pitch. Mm. It's about stopping them doing the thing that gets them off the pitch. Exactly. That's all it is. It's yeah. a deterrent. It's not a, it's not a punishment. It's a deterrent. Exactly. Interesting. Mm. Anyway, that's all happening at Congress uh, next weekend, isn't it? Good. Uh, I hope it comes so, in. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how it will come in. Um, and you may have given me a feature idea for the week, so there we go. Uh, none of this was wasted. Uh, we are going to talk to Keith Duggan later on uh, about uh, the charging uh, Galwegians who he discovered yesterday during their 19-point demolition of Tyrone are All-Ireland contenders, so we're going to do that later on. But first, our weary travellers have come back. Jerry, Gav, how are you? Super. Tired. It's all over, isn't it? This is, you know, rugby is finished. Yeah. That's, that's, finished. that's basically where, where we are. That's the way we go, yeah. Last, this time last week, it was, uh, yeah, no, Andy Farrell, loved, loved, loving, the, loving the progress. And, uh, well, that's gone now, so... Uh, I can go right from positive to negative now, no yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. Really, uh, <laughs> go with the flow, Gav, go with the flow. That's what we do in Ireland. We go from positive to negative to positive Jerry, to negative. Okay, what happened? What happened? Wow, what happened? Same old, same old in many ways. Like, like, it was quite extraordinary. You got that horrible sinking, familiar feeling at Twickenham when Ireland are getting well beaten mm. from quite early in the game. Yeah. The die was cast. The first moment for me was when I knew when Elliot Daly was back at fullback. I said it in the preview that they were going to kick and find space in behind like they'd done in the Aviva a year ago because they had the two... The, the kickers are 10 and 12. Young's is a good kicking game. Daly with his left foot from the back. Daly comes to the line, immediately finds space in behind. Then you have the first line out into Manu Tulagi in the middle and he crashes up outside Josh van der Fleer, bumps Johnny Sexton over the gain line and I'd say a lot of the Irish players and certainly a lot of the Irish players are going, oh no, this again. here we go again. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they go on finding space in behind and Johnny Sexton's just w beaten by a wickedly cruel bounce. Like, I don't think, I just thought he was a little bit unlucky. He tries to grasp, but I mean, it, he had three goals and he just couldn't pull the ball in. And then George Ford pounces. And then Johnny gets a little bit ragged himself, as the team did. Like, it was a blow to them mentally as much as physically. And then he puts in, with advantage plays, admittedly, but two poor kicks. And then shanks his first penalty off the tee. Trying to go under the wind, was Trying he? to go under the wind. He just caught it too high, he said. Pulled it to the left. And Johnny Sexton is such an important player for this team. He's the captain. He's the playmaker. He's the goal kicker. He's the heartbeat, as we said, when he plays well, which he generally does. But when he doesn't play well, and it happens very seldom, it happened against the All Blacks, happened here, it, it just spreads like a virus through the team as well, I think. And uh, they, they went on finding space in behind. I mean... Jordan Lamar was a little bit out of position for the second one when the ball is put through. Oh no, that was the first one maybe. He was a little bit more to the right. And then Stockdale has the second um, kick through from Ben Young's, was it? So yes. it was the second one. I'm trying to remember which order was which. The first one was Young's. The second, second one, one was Ford. Ford yeah. and, and, and Stockdale has that covered and I don't know why he doesn't deal with it more emphatically. He did it before last year. He's, mm. he, he's prone to these things, Stockdale. Yeah. And we thought, there was a bit of evidence that he removed these kind of defensive glitches from his game in Ulster and that's what got him back into the team. 
but he hasn't. So and, they found and it cost they, cost Ireland at the biggest stage of all. They'd done their homework, England. They really had done their homework. They saw Ireland coming. They could seemingly read every pass out the back or every one or two off carry. They were smashing Ireland over the gain line. Ireland were being driven backwards, forced into um, exiting with box kicks. They'd no other, there was nowhere else to go. Um, they found space in behind because the winners were playing so flat. Um, and they they came onto the ball much better than England did, than Ireland did as well. I mean, a recurring theme of the game was English carriers arriving at full tilt onto the ball, Ireland carriers taking it statically. And uh, until the game was up and the introduction of Caelan Doris particularly and Ronan Keller off the bench, that remained the story of the game. About the only redeeming feature is that it could have been a thrashing. And I've been there and it's been a thrashing only last September and many other occasions in the past. Like so however, Ireland, though, Ireland, really though, this is this was a twelve point thrashing. Oh, completely not. Really. Yeah. I mean, no, no, no. I'm not. No, no, no. You're missing my point. What I'm saying, I'm, I know it's a thrashing. Yeah. And it was a thrashing everywhere except on the scoreboard. So I will just give them credit for at least defiantly okay. defending their line on numerous occasions and then staying with it in the second half to come back and score two tries themselves and put that impact off the bench to come away with only a twenty four twelve beating was actually dodging not so much a bullet as a machine gun of bullets. <laughs> Gavin, Jerry mentions there about England had their homework done. But like, I mean, Ireland and God love us, all of us have seen the last few times that we've played England. It's the exact same pattern. England doing everything at pace, as Jerry says, coming onto the ball at pace. Ireland with all these, receiving the ball in static positions. Why are we making the same mistakes constantly? Well, because we have the same team. Because it's the same personnel. Um, Post-World Cup, they looked like... Um, there was a couple of plan changes. They wanted to get Caelan Doris into the team. They wanted to get Roland Keller into the team. We both know those decisions were stalled by injury. There was a strong case that Andrew Porter should be on the pitch from the start. Now that Keane Healy's gone, the, the, the loose head jersey, that decision, it sounds, some people might see it as dramatic, but that might happen. Um, Porter to loose head? Yeah, it's where he started, you know. Just if he, Keane Healy's out long term, though, you know what I mean? You get. I just think he needs... They, they, the, something has to happen and they've started getting their best players onto the pitch. The the, the plan would have been, the, the Porter thing is a little bit left field, I admit, but the, the plan was that Doris and Keller would be introduced as the new power surge into this Irish pack this season, you know. Mm. And they were, re- and then there was uh, maybe the Welsh game kind of convinced Farrell to trust personnel that weren't able to damage big teams in 2019. Um, like, Bundy Aki and I thought Peter Manny actually had a very good game again and he did a very good game in the World Cup quarterfinal. Um, I thought he's, he made a real impact on carries and then I looked at the stats and he made five carries for six metres. Yeah. But <laughs> it seemed like that. I agree with you. I watched it again last night. It was, didn't he did take some key carries and I don't think the six metres is fair enough. I think he made about 12 <laughs> metres. Uh, like, Stole a couple of lineouts. Every time we... Um, like Van der Flyer and Bundy Aki are absolute like established players in this team and important for all the Ireland victories in the last year or two. But in the big games, when the physicality matters, you just don't, they're just not there. They just didn't make the impacts that you need, you know. Well, Doris and Kelleher, granted the game was gone, did make it. This was the opportunity. They wanted to do this in round one, but round now round, it's round four and, and the Six Nations is all but gone. The Doris and Kelleher in the team for Twickenham, what we saw in the last 10 minutes of Twickenham, if we could have seen that from the start, that would have been something different because what Ireland did put out was the same team that failed in 2019, more or less, it did not perform. They did not make a physical, they were not able to cope physically with the English pack. And we can go through individuals, we can go through everything you want, but there's a, there was the opportunity to change was there and it wasn't taken and Ireland got battered. 
Okay, let's let's go um, actually through some individuals just for a second. Um, I asked the question after the World Cup in here, and I understand at the time why the answer might have been one way. But appointing a 34-year-old out half to be your captain for this season, would we not have been better off having, say, for example, James Ryan as captain? I'm not saying it would have changed the result of yesterday's game, but at least then James Ryan is learning in the crucible of Twickenham. Whereas realistically, we can say that we're at the start of another World Cup cycle. Johnny Sexton isn't going to be our captain nor our at half, say, in four years' time. I assume, anyway. Yeah, well, they're not thinking about um, World Cups, which is a, a good decision, I think. I don't think you should think about a World Cup. Like, what, what are we all thinking about? Are we World thinking about the future think about at all? 12 months out. Well, um, Roland Keller's thinking about the future. Caelan Doris is thinking about the future. Jordan Larmer's thinking about the future. Um, it, but we're in the here and now. It's a Six Nations tournament. Ireland want to be competitive in the Six Nations. Look at the reaction to this defeat. Look at the reaction by comparison to win over Wales. The, the, nation, the, the rugby supporting public out there want Ireland to become the RFU need Ireland to be competitive there's a lot of prize money at stake loads of, loads of other factors it's a Six Nations bona fide tournament it's the oldest traditional tournament in the world and it's important that Ireland are competitive in it and Ireland have a very good record in it and much higher standards now than they ever used to have before they're expected to challenge for the title and ironically they still might mathematically be in the title hunt come the final weekend in Paris I'm, in Paris I know yeah we'll come to that later that's, uh, that's I don't know the, <laughs> that's, a, that's don't another know. day's misery yeah. Yeah. at 9pm with a grand slam yeah. on the line for the first yeah, time in 10 years for the first years. time in 10 years like you couldn't you couldn't script <laughs> oh dear oh dear oh dear that's, that's two years in a row remember Ireland went to Wales last year yeah, they yeah. were going for grand slam yeah, yeah. but imagine the French at 9pm with full house the Marseillaise running around the ground it's going to be magical it's going to be electric they haven't won it in 10 years and they're flying they're on fire. Anyway, um, we'll come to back, that, no back doubt. To the back to the captain <laughs> issue. I'm not going to suddenly sit here now and say, oh, it was a mistake to pick Johnny Sexton as captain. I was glad for Johnny Sexton to be made captain. He had a particularly bad day um, yesterday, no doubt about it. I think um, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. He's, he's maturing as a captain, learning as a captain. I think, by and large, he's still definitely the best choice as captain for this tournament. I think there's plenty of time for James Ryan to assume the mantle. I've interviewed James Ryan a few times in this Six Nations. He's coming out of a shell more and more and more. And yesterday... He had a career in, game. Yesterday was a landmark game for him. I don't know whether it was... We were talking about this on the way home. I think it might have been something to do with Paulie O'Connell being in camp. But he was notably more aggressive. He was really mm. up for the fight. And he, like, no matter what, how big the white tide was coming at him, he was standing he up got against him. fights, he which got he's him. never done before. I've he never seen him in a, I've watched him he play since some, he was 14 years old and I've never seen him in a fight on a rugby he pitch. He made now. some good carries, he made some good tackles and he made some awesome clean-outs at Rooks. He just, and, you know, Ireland needed a bit more of that nasty edge. So I think there's time enough for James Bryan to become captain. I don't think cap Johnny Sexton's captaincy is the issue here. I think, so though, I, the, I, the, the flip side of, of it, though, is not so much about James Ryan or about whoever else would be captain. It's, it's, the, it's the workload on correct. Johnny Sexton. It's the, the mental workload. Whatever about everything else. You know, you're having a bad game. Uh, let's say he makes the mistake he made at made the start yesterday. If he Stop is, talking, Mal. You're right. He stopped talking to the referee. He, his confidence, I, I believe, uh, mm. disappeared. And if Sexton's not in the referee's ear, Farrell was Farrell and Marius Yonker, the TMO, were kind of the refs by the end of the game. <laughs> Farrell kept going to uh, to uh, Piper. He was like, "We're the dominant team," and we get into the twenty-two, and they keep they keep kind of killing the ball. They mm -hmm. keep denying it because we're the dominant team. You have to reward us, and he was on him and on him. And Sexton had made two or three really bad errors at that stage, and he was just gone quiet. Um, look. I thought James Ryan should have been the captain before the Six Nations. I thought it was the time to do it because it happened when O'Connell was young, it happened when O'Driscoll was young and it was 
proved really successful. But after the Wales O'Driscoll game... O'Driscoll was already a, an established international <coughs> Lions star, four-year standing, and probably the best player in the world and already the best player in our history. Slightly different. Slightly different, okay, fair enough. But I still feel that James Ryan had... The, the difference being is James Ryan was a captain all his life. O'Driscoll wasn't. So I think James Ryan, this was the time to do it. For a lot of the reason for what you said, but after the Welsh game, after what Sexton did as a captain that yeah. day, we all gave him his due. Yeah, yeah. We went, okay, yeah, hang on a exactly. second here, yeah. and I, I did. Wrote, I wrote back and I went, hang on a second here. That was great. You know what I mean? Like he was really clever. He completely curbed his kind of his natural instincts to to scream at people yeah. in, in games, and he was he he showed good leadership. He is the leader of the team. It's quite clear though when it goes wrong for the out half, and this can happen to Owen Farrell, and has actually happened. Well, to I was Owen just Farrell about to well. cite Owen Farrell as an example. It's not doing yeah. Owen Farrell any harm, is it? No, but you know it, I mean? well, no, but he's the goal kicker, he's mm. the captain, he's everything, he's the heartbeat of their team. No, but when it goes wrong, <clears> it's very hard to lead, and That's that was the thing. so apparent. I thought, um, and what we said, what we saw though, was the resistance from James Ryan was the real leadership element in the team in Twickenham. There, his his refusal to back down, and look, <clears throat> we're supposed to have. We were talking about it on the way to the airport. It's like, this is now, it's felt like a change in the guard moment to a certain degree with Keller and Doris and all that. And it's just a pity that the change in the guard hasn't happened before now. I'm not, like, the the the, the Ryan-Sexton argument is worth uh, going on with, but I, I feel that James Ryan will be captain of Ireland in Australia this summer. Um, can I just, just on a separate matter, can I just slightly disagree with you about Bundiaki? I thought he got a lot of ball that, I mean, he got one ball out the back from Johnny, then Marotoji was just straight on him. And there's nothing much you can do in life when Mario Toji is straight on you. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no escape You're, from that. It's not that. a good place to be. was sensational. Yeah. I've never seen one wrecking ball spoil a team so much, whether it was coming through in malls, sacking malls, blocking the scrum half's kick, ripping the ball from David Kilcoyne, charging up to make attacks, leading the defensive line, or making carries. It was a phenomenal performance. I mean, he was every bit as good as Courtney Laws, if not better. But I thought Bundy stayed in the match won one of the few turnovers the breakdown, legitimately won a second that Jacko Piper didn't give him and started to carry stronger and stronger and stronger once the ball started quickening up in the second half, made a couple of really good carries. I don't know there's a better out 12 out there and you need his strength, Gavin. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I just, he just, well, we're comparing him to Manu Tuolagi, okay? Yeah. So, you know, he's not, he's just not there. Um, but nobody is. The On the Itoje point, uh, on 30 minutes, I scribbled in my notes, Ireland's game needs to start now. They just got blessed not to give up points. Sinclair give away penalties. So Ireland had an exit to get out and to work their way down the field the way they do it with their mm. line out. And, and I was like, okay, Toner can get into the game now. All these guys who never got into the game. And Murray was at the bottom of a rook that uh, Underhill was, uh, was, was messing up. And Itoje made a block on him. And then two minutes later, he came in behind the gain line, nailed Henshaw. And then Underhill did the same thing to Furlong. And then 35 minutes, but then three minutes later, he nails Henshaw again behind the gain line. And then Herring lost the ball in contact. And it was seven minutes before half time. And I remember just going, this is over. <laughs> and Eddie Jones, who was rubbed as much salt as he possibly could in the wounds, said if it was a cricket match, we would have declared yeah. at half time. Uh, he was cock a hoop, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He was more sticking it to the English reporters, by yeah. the way, for, because of the, uh, the the racial apology and the incident he got dragged into la- by his own doing. But um, unfortunately, he was right. Yeah, Jerry, um, I saw Clive Woodward actually said that the first half of rugby was as one sided a game as he'd ever seen. Does the scale of how one-sided it was, you, you mentioned about um, a changing of the guard in your piece on the front page of the paper today. Does the scale of how one-sided it was make that changing of the guard not necessary, but easier to do? Like, we'll say, will Kelleher, Cooney, Henderson, Doris, will they all be getting a chance the next day out? Yeah, and Kilcoyne will be starting as well. So it'll be four or five changes. I think there would have been changes for this game anyway. It's Italy. It's seven days before you go to Paris to play the French, maybe going for a Grand Slam. 
there was scope for change here anyway. I think the performance, the nature of that first half um, obliteration really is that it gives certainly Andy Farrell and the other coaching staff more scope, more food for thought. And I think those changes will now definitely happen. Uh, how far it'll go, I don't know, but you would have thought... And whether they will stay for Paris Well, that's the, big the thing, thing, you see. Because yeah. you know, you Ireland could thrash Italy with the bonus point, in all likelihood. Yeah. But what does that prove in terms of the relevance of going to... It tells you nothing about John Cooney. It tells you, you nothing about Ronan really. Kelleher. Really. Not really. You need to pick really. the team that plays Italy to prepare for Paris. And yeah. That's what I think should have happened again. That's what should have happened for Twickenham. You, you should have got the team out that you want to... Like the, the change in the garden they've been forced on them, you know. I think that, you know... If you look at it on an individual basis, Rob Herring did not have a particularly bad game. His darts were quite good. He he put in a good shift. He worked hard around the pitch. But this team needs an infusion of just a little bit more ballast, a little bit more dynamic carrying. And Ron Keller has that. Likewise, Doris. I mean, I went home last night, even though it was quite late, and I watched the second half again because I just want to really analyse the bench. And Doris was even better than I realised. He's scrum half past you. Yeah, <laughs> the one inside to Cooney. And Cooney got a chance to run a couple of those support trailers that he does so well for Ulster. Um... <laughs> but mind you if he'd been on the pitch in the first half he wouldn't have had those opportunities any less than Conor Murray did because there was no support trailers to be had because there was no breaks being made there was no forward momentum at all but definitely Doris adds that Kelleher adds that and I think they have to come in and that's what I meant by a change in the guard Where, how they fit Doris into the back row is another conundrum. We talked about this for about 15 minutes we last talk, night. And I've talked, I almost, I almost dreamt about it. I'm really struggling <laughs> to come up with an answer. Okay, but who, <laughs> because you, dro- who are you dropping? Because Omani at seven is now an, a, an now a conversation. Yeah, it's another conversation. I, I think it's almost toughest of the three Where's to drop Dan Stander. Levy? I think it's, Gavin, I think it's toughest to drop Stander. I really do. His work rate's phenomenal. His oh, no, strength is phenomenal. That's not a consideration, I don't think. No, I don't, I don't no, think no, it can be. No, he goes to six. So it's now, it's Van der Flyer versus Omahani to wear the seven jersey. Yeah, and I, I that think so. is just the only com- de- debate I think that the coaches should have. Like, it, that's it. Now, the, the Omani adds real value. Like, you've got a guy who can just um, steal a line, an English throw. They've got six out of six, Ireland had hardly competed on their throw. They go to the corner, you're thinking, this could be three tries to nail. This is, this is another slaughter. And they get O'Mahony in the air and, and he beats Laws the ball or forces uh, Laws knock on and Ireland get out, get away from that. He's the only, he did it against the All Blacks. He can pull, come up with these moments when the tide is all white or it's all black or whatever it is, but it ain't green. And he can stem that tide like few others, certainly as a defensive line-out operator. But then you've got Stander's work rate is phenomenal around the pitch, so you have to keep that in, I think. Van de Fleer, I mean, some days we think he's an excellent, op- he's a more natural seven than O'Mahony. He is a seven, yeah. You know, I mean, it's a tough call, but I think you have to bring Doris back. You have to bring Doris in. I, uh, I was working at a hurling game yesterday, so I, I'm speaking from a, a position of real ignorance here because I haven't seen the game. Um, but fr- what I'm hearing from, from both of you is, is a lot of like a lot of positives, like a lot of, you know, well, actually, he played pretty well and he did pretty well and his work rate was great. Like, who... Is it the case that England were just such a force of nature that it wouldn't really have mattered who Ireland put out yesterday? Or, like, who who's head... Who, do no, no, do head control The two tries killed Ireland because you can't go 14-0 down in Twickenham. Mm. They can just, they just squeeze the life out of you. And they couldn't get but out. But they just came from mistakes, right? So yeah. No, we've seen no, Ireland. no, no. You can't just say they came from mistakes. Came from pressure, they came from pressure. Right. They came from pressure. They came from pressure. Pressure does better. funny things to teams in all sports. Mm. And I think when you've got baggage against one particular opponent, mm. 
that pressure mounts as a result when you fall behind at the scoreboard. Then it's the pressure of both playing away and the pressure of the scoreboard and the pressure of the, a confident team coming at you and, you know, your your fans cannot be heard in the stadium. All these things mount up and it just becomes this this white tidal wave and it's very hard to stem. And a long way from half-time, you wanted it to be half-time for this Irish team because it was just, they were like... They were shell-shocked. And I think O'Guara said this afterwards, this can happen to teams. I've seen it happen to plenty of teams in my life. It even happened a little bit to the All Blacks in the World Cup semi-final when England scored after two minutes. It just, it can happen. This is what England do. They put the heat on you. They yeah. score. This is this is their blueprint under Eddie Jones. Mm. Score early, squeeze. Like, that's it. That's what they do. And if they don't score early, and the early on. moments go against them, like against South Africa or against France, then they can be shut down. So this is what I'm wondering then. What what are the consequences for 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 any of these Irish players? Like, is th- will will this be held against them, or is this just one of those games? It went against us early, and we, you know, we regroup and we go again. So the Conor Murray conversation has cannot go away. Mm. You know, it has to come back up because he had a poor game for Ireland. Very unlike the Conor Murray that we call the best scrum half in the world. Yeah. Um, and, Jerry, and I know, Jerry, you, you're long, and I understand why you're a, a big fan. And, and I've always said Conor Murray should be in the team, and 30 is not that old. And, and he was very good against Wales. But what's your assessment now? With, does, do you think Cooney needs to get a sustained period of time? Because uh, I, I still think Conor Murray off the bench is such a powerful weapon for Ireland to have. Well, you saw what happened when Peter Amani was left on the bench against Scotland. And OK, events t- t- conspired to ensure that he was on the pitch f- in the fourth minute. But it definitely had a, an effect on his response was very positive. And I think probably Cooney deserves a run now against Italy, certainly. And then we take it from there and see what the response would be from Connor. I still think Connor Murray is a better scrum half. I'm not going to change my view on that. I don't think, for example, his passing is any slower than Cooney's. If anything, I think it's quicker. It's, got, it's longer. It's got a bit more zip in it. I think he's, more, he's got much more strength around the fringes, which was actually very important for Ireland on several occasions yesterday. Defensively, he's stronger. Like, if you think about it, when Cooney went blind when he shouldn't have in the second half and got a little bit ragdolled and got driven back and was a turnover penalty to England. And then when he got dispossessed by Johnny May at the base, had those same two mistakes happened Conor Murray, mm. they would have been highlighted a lot more because the, the, the scope is now more magnified on Conor Murray at the moment. Mm. But I do think that Cooney had definitely had an impact, definitely a positive impact. And on that basis, he probably deserves to start against Italy. If they don't change this, sorry, but they don't change up this team's uh, uh, the expectations should be lower on this Ireland team going forward because if they keep staying playing with this team, the expectations <coughs> should plummet. You know, they should be where where they where they were at the end of twenty nineteen. But that's what I was about to say. Like we can't dismiss it as being one of those days because this team now has a demonstrable record of losing in this manner. I remember you used to say it about I think it was the Tipperary Herders oh, against yeah, Kilkenny yeah, yeah. that they had a recognisable way of losing those games. And we have now a recognisable way of losing games, very much so against England. Like, even just tactically, it's the same game nearly every time with us being driven backwards with static runners because uh, they're line speed. That's a huge problem. Yeah, that's a huge problem. That's why something, that's why, the, that's why I, I push him <coughs> for a change of what Porter needs to be on the pitch more. And that's why the scrum half, because I don't think, that, I don't think we're going but, anywhere near removing yeah, Jimmy Section Pat, from Pat, the team. You can be, Pat's right though, we can talk all about switch, it's, it's a bit like rearranging chairs in the Titanic or whatever, it's just, no, there's, there's, a young, there's, no. there's, a, there's a new, yeah, yeah, there's a new like, team that can but, be put onto the yeah, pitch, but you, a you, new you way. You've got to get away from players just catch, taking the pass static and then running into contact. You've got, we've got to improve the skill sets of the forwards. So do you remember that moment when Tyke Furlan rushed up and Kyle Sinclair saw him coming and tips on a pass to Luke Cowan Dickey we never saw that from Ireland the whole game you can see it from Keller and Doris since they were 14-15 years yeah, old but coming like, through the system you can though. see it in other systems in other teams but it has to be seen in this one 
So that's partly the work on the training ground as well, Gavin. You know what I mean? That's a... Uh, that's not just just purely just refreshing the team with different personnel. That's got to be a different approach on the pitch. They, their attacking game was made to look very blunt and pedestrian yesterday. I agree. Well, that is cheers. The other thing up. as well is the mall's not going forward anymore. Yeah. The uh, England absolutely dem- demolished the Irish mall. The mall used to be a source of great strength for this team. It mm. was a source of tries. Worked once very well against Wales. Compare and contrast with that brilliant mall that England put up. So dynamic mm. where the, the backs come charging in. They peel off the right for the Luke Cowan Dickey try. Now I know that followed an Irish scrum that was obliterated and looking at it again on TV last night from the camera above. How on earth Ellis Genge is allowed scrum at an angle of 90 degrees across <laughs> the Irish tight head. And he does it again at a substance scrum and Jacob Piper penalises him. Like, just in a small little aside, the scrum from, the scrummaging from Ellis Genge was ridiculous, and Joe Marley before him, was at such an angle. But with help by Wales, putting all the focus in Tyke Furlong, Jacob Piper just missed it. Now, <laughs> I'd say that will actually infuriate the Irish team as much as anything to review. They're not going to complain about the referee, but you could see they were seething about some of Jacob Piper's interpretations at the set piece. Well, on the on the, on the list of things to be annoyed about, I'd imagine it's uh, maybe no, down, it lead, down a little it bit. It did lead to their third try, you sure. know. They weren't getting out of the 22, though. Mm. <laughs> there was no way. They couldn't get out of the 22. It was as grim as cricket can be. Uh, anyway, but let's <laughs> let's end the misery. Let's, let, let's go on with our lives. And, you know, we're all still oh, here. We're all still upright. Uh, you two had a nice glass of wine in Heathrow, I presume. Everything's fine. We should have had a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much, lads, and we will chat to you next week, hopefully. Cheers. For the first time, I believe, this year on the podcast, we have uh, Keith Duggan. How are you, Keith? Good, good. Yourselves? We're flying. We're flying. We're we're trying to shake off the rugby and uh, trying to, you know, be, be positive. I think that's the way to be. You're okay, though. Yeah, we're fine. Yeah, yeah we'll live. <laughs> uh, you were... At uh, Tume Stadium uh, yesterday, watching Galway hand out the worst beating of the Mickey Hart era, uh, which uh, I kind of figured that that it was a kind of an acid test for Galway under Porrick Joyce. I didn't think that they were they were going to pass it to the tune of nineteen points. No, nobody did. And to be honest, you know, with fifty minutes gone in the game, uh, nobody in the stadium would have guessed that that would have been the outcome either. So Galway were extremely good yesterday and they really are, they're, they're, they're a joy to watch. They, they seem to have banned even lateral passing. The ball must go forward at all times. Um, but, you know, it, it was 14-11 after 50 minutes and Tyrone had been down a man since the 28th minute. So you have to ask yourself, is that a more realistic reflection of where both teams are at? Or the subsequent twenty-eight minutes when when Galway just went on a on a on a scoring rampage, really. Even if it is, uh, that's still a big step forward. Like even even um, you know, sort of being a few points better than Tyrone uh, is is not bad. You know, now notwithstanding the fact that, uh, and I wrote this when Monaghan beat Tyrone a couple of weeks ago, Tyrone do and have had. The uh, the uh, ability, the odd time to throw in a real stinker of a game in in the league here and there, and throw their hat at it, uh, the odd time. Uh, but but even if you go to 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 that point in the game that you were talking about, for Galway to be ahead at that stage and playing playing different football than they've been for the last few years, and I think that's the key. I think people got so kind of bored of them under under Kevin Walsh the the, the way they were playing then. 
that is that is all progress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, yeah, it's 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 certainly it's it's a different approach from from uh, from, from Porrick Joyce. Like what Kevin Walsh tried to do was to bring back some consistency into into the squad, and I think he did that. And you know, if you remember a couple of league seasons ago, nobody was really complaining then when they were uh, when when they were getting to the league final, and you know they were getting results. But yeah, you're right. I mean, by the end, it had sort of plateaued a little bit, and they were quite defensive and cautious in their approach. And they're the opposite now. They were very, very adventurous from the outset here, and they really caused Niall Morgan and Tyrone all kinds of uh, all kinds of problems uh, on, on on their own kick out. They pressed very, very aggressively, and they pinned Tyrone back. And uh, they, they 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 really moved the ball very sharply, very sweetly, and it's just it's impressive just how easily Rowan Steed, Corrafin midfielders, just slotted into that mm. team. Liam Silk played centre back, and he was on the ball a lot. And in addition, just really kept uh, Peter Hart extremely quiet. Like there's a few times I had to check to see where Peter Hart and Tiernan McCann were on the on the on the pitch. And you know, they're normally very prominent for for, for Tyrone when, when Tyrone have, have the ball. Just wasn't the case yesterday. But for like for all that, Tyrone did produce a couple of goal chances in the first half. They should definitely had one. They hit the post two or three times. You, you know, there were just a few little variables. Um like Galway, like I said in my report, I do think they, they are genuine contenders now. They really have a lot of quality throughout their throughout their team and have so many attacking options and you think that Ian Burke still has to come back into that into that fold um they they just love being on the ball and they love expressing themselves you know with with, with the football um but you know it's still as you say it's it's a league game Tyrone do this sometimes I remember a few years ago watching them come down to Bally Buffet on a really horrible night and they just they didn't do anything but you kind of felt they're just having a look, you know. They just want to see what Bunny yeah. Gall are up to, and then they <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then and then they went and beat them in the, that summer, you know. So they're they're capable of doing that. They they certainly didn't want to get beaten by nineteen points, but look, they were down to thirteen men. They just lost McShane to a to a really horrible injury, and you know Galway just it it just it just became one of those things where where Galway could could score at will. This is uh, there was a tendency when Kevin Walsh was in charge for people to kind of say all you need to do is bring in the Corfin lads and let them play. But in fairness to Joyce, there's a lot more nuance to how they're set up than that. It, the, his use of Shane Walsh and Damien Comer has it looks like it could invigorate the two of them, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think he said himself that he he just. He, I, I mean, obviously, you know, Shane Walsh's sort of talent is is, is an open secret. Um, what what Walsh decided to do was was maybe you know burden him with a little bit more responsibility and ask him to become a sort of a leader, and he's really really done that. Uh, he's still in a, you know an extremely flamboyant and skillful player, and he he can do so many things. I mean, they can play him they can play him deep inside, and he becomes an immediate goal threat. But he's also a really really good playmaker. But you're right, Pat. Like it's the way they're using Damien Comer. I think is really interesting because you know the temptation is to channel. To make him your target man and channel so much ball through him, but they've done the opposite. He sort of just kind of pops up here and there, you know. Like they have him playing sort of this kind of wide corner forward role, and he just and he 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 just start pulverizing uh, guys along the along the uh, along the baseline, along along the end line. But he can also come out and win a ball at midfield and and, and lay it off very well. And he's become really efficient, you know. There's no kind of 
I'm going to take on six guys, beat them, and then thump it over the bar stuff anymore. He's just taking the right option all the time. Another game, Malachi, had a big uh, winning margin in it yesterday, which was Monaghan putting mm. Mayo, Mayo to the sword, sword. by yeah. 216 <laughs> to 13 points. Now, possibly a game, again, that was influenced uh, on the scoreline anyway by some red cards. But uh, what do you reckon? Are, are your boys All-Ireland contenders as well this year? <laughs> no, because funny, this is the thing. Like, like, I was sort of following that game uh, while I was down in, uh, at the Hurling in, in Kilkenny. And, like, it was a very tight game for, I think, 50 minutes, maybe 55. And then Mayo had sort of two lads sent off and Monaghan sort of stretched away in the last uh, last 10 minutes and got a late goal. Um, there, it's interesting to compare and contrast the two teams, Galway and Monaghan, two, two teams that have, you know, are pr- probably playing... The, the certainly getting the best results in the league. Like um, Monaghan could certainly have uh, more points than they do. Like they probably should have had a draw in Galway, even though Galway were the better side that time. They obviously should have beaten Dublin, uh, but made a bit of balls at the last ten minutes. Uh, but now they have two wins, and they're playing like they they are playing decent stuff. Um, like anybody, any Monaghan people watching them can only be just delighted with the flourishing of Conor McCarthy, obviously, uh, in the forward line. Like, the, the you know, the really interesting thing about this league is that, you know, Conor McManus has scored his freeze and that's about all he has really had to do, you know. Conor McCarthy has led the, the, the attack. But the other, the key, key player for them now is Niall Cairns around midfield, who was out you know, for missed the whole of last year's league after getting heart surgery and then came back and, you know, kind of spent spent the summer sort of settling himself in, really. It was all he was able to do. And, you know, between between that and, and Darren Hughes getting suspended last summer, that kind of hollowed out their, their centre field and, you know, they went out of the championship early. Niall Cairns is going to be a huge player for them and it's very exciting. But it's interesting to look at them and Galway and... I think with the best will in the world, Monaghan have a ceiling. Um, probably, you know, Super 8s, maybe an All-Ireland semi-final, could pox their way to a final. Uh, and yet, and there's no particular reason for this, maybe just history, maybe just, I don't know, maybe, you, you know, you look at Porrick Joyce in charge, but you kind of look at Galway, and as, as Keith had, as Keith, you had in your piece there, you know, the 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 revelation came halfway through yesterday's game. Damn it, these lads are contenders. Whereas I'm not sure you can, with the best will in the world, say that about Monaghan. What do you think, Keith? Is Malachy just playing the bail booked there? You, you know he is. You, you know he is. No, so, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I I take your point, but like it has to be acknowledged that this this Monaghan group, there, there's something remarkable about them. This, mm. there. I mean. Y- 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 Aside from their ability to hang tough in games, and that's exactly what they did in that, in that opening uh, day against uh, against Galway in, in Salt Hill mm. when they were really unlucky not to get some kind of a result. Like they just they they hung in there, you know. They just wouldn't they wouldn't go away, and they could have stolen something at the end. But they've they've the way they've just been able to respond to 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 uh, to McEnany coming in and, and and the results they've gotten. Like they should be a Super Eight team. And you're right; they could get to a they could get to a semi final, you know. But then it, I think it becomes, and then what, you know? Yeah. They, you know, then they reassess what they can do when they get there. Do you know what I mean? 
because they will be in kind of special territory then. And, and you know, that's the whole reason why we, we we follow this daft stuff sport. You know, the unexpected stuff can happen. And I just do feel there there could be there could be a, you know, a real magnificent twist in, in Monaghan's story yet. And I think they deserve that because going back to 2013, they've they've just been extraordinary the way they've gotten the most out of their resources season in, season out. But it is interesting though, Keith, that, that um, you know, their body of work is probably a better body of work to, than Galway's. And yet, and yet, you know, you can you can think mad thoughts about Galway for the year, whereas I'm just not sure you can about Monaghan, you know? Yeah, I mean, Galway and, you, you know, there's there's a sense in Galway football circles that they should be up there competing for all Irelands. Yeah. And I think yeah. Porrick Joyce definitely uh, is a firm disciple of that, of, that, of that point of view. I mean, he came out and said it in, in his first interview with Galway Bay FM that if they don't win the All-Ireland, it'll be, the season will be a disappointment, it'll be a failure for him. And it's really bold and kind of courageous just to speak like that. There's no hedging your bets with him. He knows what he wants to do. And if you go back to his, when he came onto the scene with Galway, you know, he just happened to come through when, when John O'Mahony took over and Val Daly had done a good job the year previous. But, you know, they just got it together and they went and won the thing. Mm. And I think there's that sense of kind of impatience about Patrick Joyce. You know, like why build for year four? Just just get out and just get out and do it now, you know. And that's really, I think that's kind of that sense of positivity and confidence you know, it's really, it's striking, like, the, the, the joy in the field after games, you know, just people out there, they're, they're just having fun. And he said he wants to try and just get a wee bit of, a wee bit of a buzz and excitement back into, into you know, the Galway football scene again. Uh, we'll finish up with that, Keith. I, I just want to say one thing that was nice about Park Ice, I was watching this on, on League Sunday last night. Chatting hard well, afterwards. You could see on the TV that the first thing he said to Hart was, how's Cahill McShane's ankle? Well, you know, they They've been talking. They 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 met beforehand before the whistle before the start of the game also to mm. shake hands and and they they stood chatting for a minute or two and mm. you're right afterwards too. They stood chatting for about three or four minutes. There's clearly a lot of a lot of mutual respect there. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Uh, listen, Keith. Thanks very much. We also have mutual respect for you in case you ever wonder. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. <laughs> uh, thank you to you, Pat. Thank you to Gavin, Jerry, who were in earlier talking about rugby. Thank you to Declan behind the desk, and thank you to everybody else. And we will see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers.